Hi, friends. This is Susan, and welcome to another episode of She Speaks Stories. We are so glad that you are with us today. You are in for a treat. This past Wednesday, we had our live virtual event called At the Table, a conversation about race. Um, We had our special guests with us, Irene Rollins and Sheila Arnold, and um, they have quickly become family to our podcast community, and we are so grateful for them, so, so grateful for them. And um, they were able to lend us perspective and understanding and wisdom um, and education, and it was just a precious time together um, at the table. Another treat that we had was that Portia was able to be with us live with Katie and I the last two days, and that has been a gift to our souls. Um, and as a result of Wednesday night, on Thursday, many that had attended the virtual event that we had, they messaged us and said, this needs to be the podcast on Friday. More people need to hear this. Um, they loved um, the wisdom and the pastoring and um, just the experience that they had on Wednesday night, um, listening and leaning into Sheila Arnold and um, Irene Rollins. So we agreed. We said, absolutely, it does. Absolutely. So we um, are providing this for you today, friends, and we know that it is going to be a gift to your soul. It's going to, as many people have messaged us in the last um, day and a half to say they learned things they had never heard before, that it affirmed things that they were thinking, and it made them um, understand the need for a deeper sense of empathy and compassion and loving others well. So we hope it does the same for you, and we hope you enjoy this. And um, we are glad that you too now will be um, at the table with us. So here is our live virtual event, At the Table, a conversation about race. Have a great Friday, friends. Bye-bye. So I want to introduce to you a new friend of mine that I think we've gone back and forth between familial titles, Sheila. Sometimes I say you're like a mom. Sometimes I say you're like a big sister. Let's go with big sister. Let's go with, <laughs> let's go with, let's go with big sister. And we just bonded on your episode of She Speaks Stories. And I just thought, oh, wow, here is a woman that God has brought into my life that helps me be better. And so I just loved hearing your story. I love hearing how you not only serve the body of Christ as a storyteller, but that you also serve those who have yet to name the name of Christ. And you have used story to wrap up some difficult topics and you've done it so well and with such integrity and with anointing. And y'all, we're going to hear a story from Sheila this evening and it's going to be amazing. And my prayer for the story that she's going to share is that it may be an aha for some and for others just to lean a little closer into the experiences that people of color have had and are having here in the United States. So we're going to come back to Sheila in a second, but I just wanted you to know who she is. Sheila, do you want to greet people really quickly so they know? Hi, everybody. And I just wanted to say to your mom, um, that does not mean I need to be included in the will, but I'm okay if you'd like to include me in the will. <laughs> I love it. That is hilarious. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I'm going to introduce Irene to you guys. Um, 
Irene is uh, from Baltimore, Maryland, and she and her husband co-pastor a church called I-5 City Church. And I will say this, um, we interviewed her for an episode and it was powerful. It is mm-hmm. one of our right now most downloaded episodes. Um, it's She walks through her recovery and uh, from alcoholism and it is a powerful, powerful episode. But I will tell you, I loved her so much from the moment we interviewed her that literally the next weekend, um, it was my son's last weekend before we took him off to college his freshman year. I piled them all up in a car and said, we are going to Baltimore. <laughs> and we got an Airbnb and the entire purpose uh, was because on Sunday morning, I wanted my kids to sit under her teaching and, mm-hmm. and experience her. Mm-hmm. And you didn't take me. I know. I know. Katie was like, <laughs> after it all I happened, mean, I was hot about she was, she was like, did you seriously go to Baltimore and not take me? I was like, well, it was kind of a goodbye, Joshy kind of moment. I but know. You're not know, totally kidding, but I would have killed to be there too, I mean. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. You're that amazing. Was, that was two years ago. Yeah. And my kids still talk about it. And, uh, I mean, like, it's not just every now and then they talk about it. They will bring it up like mom, because they follow, now they follow Irene on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And so they see what her church is doing. And they're like, mom, do you see what Miss Irene's church is doing? I mean, there it's, it, oh, and then what, here's another thing I love about Irene. First of all, if you haven't heard her episode, go back and listen. It will Mm -hmm. change your life Yeah, Um, Mm -hmm. because it is not just for those who have an alcohol addiction. It's for any human being. Yes. Um, Her episode is powerful. Um, But here's what I'll say. When we were talking um, at the, at 630 before this started, uh, Portia said something that is absolutely accurate and true in the season that we find our country in. God is using Jimmy and Irene Rollins to pastor a nation. Yes. And they are not just pastoring I-5 City, which is a huge, beautiful job in itself, but God is using them to be a mouthpiece all over this globe. Yes. And he is using them right now to be a mouthpiece within the United States. And they truly, Irene has got a beautiful pastor's heart. And when you hear her talk tonight, she's going to be coming and talking to you as this amazing pastor that can pastor your heart. And she and her husband have been called right now to pastor this nation. And it is beautiful. It really is. Quite it really is. I could keep going, but I'll stop because I'm running. <laughs> Portia's like, seriously, you had 30 seconds and it's you okay. just took four It's minutes. okay. We're just, we're not at a kitchen table, but we're at a table. Yeah. We hope that you are comfortable wherever you are listening tonight. In case you have stumbled into this, we are going to have a conversation at the table about race. I don't want anybody to be like, what? What are we, what are we talking about? <laughs> we're talking about race. Yeah. <laughs> and um, before we dive into Sheila's story, I'm going to ask each of our, our guests, what is your hope for the church today around the topic of race? I know that's a big question, um, but if you could just tell us what has been in your heart as we've been in this season of COVID and in all the things that have come forward, all the things that have been splashed across the news and social media, what is your hope for the church around these topics? Who do you want to go first? Miss Sheila, you go first. She, she looks like she's ready. <laughs> I did not say I was ready. I was muted. Irene was not. Was <laughs> I think my biggest hope is that the church, that we, the church, will lead on what it means to be unified. Wow. On what it means to truly be what Acts said we were where it did not matter if you were poor or rich or Greek 
or, um, you know, or Roman, that each one of us were given the holy kiss one to the other and that we will find our place to really walk that. I love that. And then I think we'll be the greatest, the greatest, um, we'll see the greatest conversions we've ever seen in our entire life. We will see evangel, but he said that. So, amen. 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 That's good. Um, Hello, everyone. I'm honored to be here. So thank you again for the invitation. Um, I would say my biggest hope for the church right now, and again, like Nishila said, um, that makes all of us because we are the church, not the church building when service right. starts, when service is over. <laughs> so we have to go out into the world and be the church. And um, when we do that, I believe that we have to model love. We have to model. Um, so my my hope for the church is exactly what we're doing now, that we would model conversations of empathy, conversations with compassion. Um, we don't have to understand to empathize. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because why did Jesus come to this earth? He came to this earth for the broken. That's all of us. Yes. <laughs> yes. We're all raggedy rag dolls without Jesus. So um, as far as I'm concerned, let's model what he did. And if so we are to go out to people who may not understand certain things about race right now right. and to be open to have the conversations. Um, I was in the book of Acts and I won't get into the scripture right now, but it's um, Acts 17. I think it's verse 28 through 30 in the Passion Translation. Go and read that later. Um, because it speaks specifically of um, a, t- a time in the Bible days where um, I f- feel there's uh, what we're experiencing now is another iteration of it. And um, it specifically says that in the past, God tolerated ignorance of these things. But now the time of deception has passed right. away. Right. Yes. He's not going to tolerate ignorance. So the mm-hmm. fact that you're on this call today says that you are standing with us. You're standing in unity. So thank you, um, my Caucasian sisters, for being on this this talk today, because this this really is the bridge building. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Our prayer is that we walk away with hope, right? And already, ladies, you have started us off with hope for what God can do and will do in and through his church, the people. Thank you for highlighting that. Um, One of the the comments in the chat really quick, I think sums up what both you ladies said. A divided world needs a unified church. Oh my. I mean, that's just a, yes. 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 Is there anything else that you were going to add, Susan? No, I was just, that's exactly what I was going to point out. We had some good comments in the chat. All right. Lots of other good comments. That's the only one I could read. (laughs) I can't keep up with that scrolling. There's a lot that's happening. So um, again, if you have just joined us in the last few minutes, if you would not mind um, posting in the chat, where are you listening from? And then we've asked everybody to mute themselves so that you're able to focus in on our guests and what they're sharing tonight. And we're going to kick off officially. Um, We've asked Sheila to share a story. It's a personal experience story. One that I heard that I really resonated with. And um, as you hear her story, um, I believe that you will as well. And um, thank you for having opening ears and leaning in. Sheila, the floor, the computer, the screen. (laughs) It's all yours. 
And again, I'm very glad to be here. And you might see me glistening. I was told that I am an older Black woman and a diva, so I don't sweat. I glisten. So you might see me glistening. Uh, and that is because I uh, because it's hot down here and because I have a fan rather than air conditioning, but that's the way of my life, and I'm okay with it. So just bear with me and, uh, and glisten along if you need to. <laughs> This story began in um, March of 2018. I was packing to get ready to go to Tejas uh, Storytelling Festival down in Texas, in Denton, Texas, right outside of Dallas. And I'm so excited to be able to go. It's my first time. And as I'm packing things in my clothes at that moment, I'm always a last minute kind of person. So I was packing things. My, uh, I can hear my door open and unlock and it's, you know, I know it's my son and he comes to the bedroom where I'm at and he leans his big six foot three or whatever he is, six foot three, tall, handsome, uh, young self, uh, 34, uh, that time he was 32 years old self and he leans it against that door frame uh, where I'm packing. And be honest, uh, if any of y'all have been mothers, there are times where you listen to your children and times where they are just additional noise around you at a moment. And that was what he was. He was just kind of additional noise. He knew he was leaving. I was leaving. And he would help take me to the airport the next day. So um, he said, you know, mama's been kind of weird. I had something weird happen today. I'm like, oh, okay. Really not paying attention. I'm just packing stuff. And I, you know, I'm folding things up and packing. And he said, yeah, I was going over to granddaddy's house and, uh, and, um, and I was going to go see him. And I nodded my head because I knew all that information already. And I called granddaddy. He wasn't there. And I already knew that information as well. So I'm really not listening. And he said, and I decided I would uh, make a U-turn. And I did a U- legal one, mom, a legal one. I said, I, I know you did. And he said, and I uh, wanted to go back to that strip mall near granddaddy's place that had a new workout place. And I thought it would be great, you know, if I went there. Okay, that's good. Wondering where this story was going to go. He said, and just as I was getting ready to turn in, I was called by a police officer, an unmarked car over a microphone said, pull over. So I pulled into the parking lot there. And when I did, I was swarmed by five police cars. I wasn't packing as much now listened a little better. And I, um, mom, I, uh, I didn't know really what to do. I wanted to reach for my phone, but it was in the seat next to me. And I worried that if I reached for my phone, that they would think I was reaching for a gun. And I thought I would get the, uh, the registration, but again, I had the same thought and they told me to roll down the, to, to, uh, let down the window. And I let down the window. They told me to put my hands out of the window and then asked me, told me to open the door from the outside. And I did. And and as I stood up and uh, got out of the car, they told me to put my hands behind me and they, they put my face towards the car and put my hands behind me and I could see and hear the gun that was pointed at me. Well, now I wasn't packing clothes or at least not really. I was just trying to listen. And so I... Uh, they kept asking me, where are the drugs? Where are the drugs? And 
they were checking me out up and down. And you know how I am, mom, with money. I just come from 7-Eleven and I just dropped a bunch of bills in my pocket and they pulled it out and said, yeah, yeah, where are the drugs? Where are the drugs? They took a dog out and they had a dog go around the car and somebody took a picture of me and, um, and went back to his car. And someone else went over to the passenger side of the car and, and to take out my registration. And it's, you know, your car, mom. It's, you know, you let me use it. And they asked, who is this? And I told them it was my mom and they, they just kind of, oh, you know, and, and he stood there, mom, and he had a gun on me the whole time. I was looking at my son. I had proof he was just fine. But it didn't matter. I had stopped breathing. I couldn't seem to catch my breath of what had just gone on with my son. So I listened. After a while, mom, after they looked over the car, the guy, one of the guys came back, the one that took the picture and said, it's not him. And then they all began to leave. And once they left, that's when that last police officer with the gun on me put his gun away and he um, he took off the handcuffs and I turned around and he looked at me and he said you know why we had to do that don't you and mom I, I shouldn't have said it I, I know I know I shouldn't have said anything I mean I know everything that you've taught me in my head I'm I'm thinking, I raised you to be quiet. I raised you to be respectful. I, I made sure that in order for you to live, you knew where to keep your hands and how to speak and how to follow the specific directions and how to say only certain words and don't say others. And I told you how to do this. I, I made sure you knew. I, I know, Mom, I probably shouldn't have said anything. But I just looked at him and said, yeah, five white police officers stopped one black guy. Yeah, I suppose that's why he stopped me. The air went out of the room. And then the guy, the police officer said, you don't understand. He was a really bad guy. He's a really bad guy. Why do you all people always say that all the time? And then he said, you do understand, don't you? I know I shouldn't have said anything, Mom. I know I shouldn't have. But I said, what? What? Are you going to stop every black guy driving a car? And he looked like he was going to come forward a moment. But then his head turned. He shook his head and got disgusted and left. After he left, Mom, I turned my head too. And I saw that inside that place where I was going to go and see about working out, there was a, a man there and he was recording it all. I think that's why I'm here still, Mom.
started to try to get my breath to breathe, to be normal. More than anything, I just wanted to cry. I wanted to hold on to my son and try to protect him from the world that was out here. I wanted to tell him and shake him and say, don't ever do that again. I wanted to hold him and say, God, thank you for letting him be alive. And yet I couldn't do any of that. You see, I am the mother of a black son. And I want my son to have a place to come when his world is shaken up. Which means that as a single mom to this boy, if I, if I start to fall apart, he will never come to me. That thing about being a strong black woman, there are times it is so true. But I need him to be able to come to me. I need him to have a place he can fall. I looked at my son and he said, yeah, I probably shouldn't have said any of that. And I got up and I went over to him and I just put my hand on his shoulder and said, well, well, there won't be, maybe there won't be a next time. And he looked at me with that wry little smile that he gets. And he said, you know, that's not true. The words hung in the air between us. And he looked at me and I looked at him and he said, well, I'll, I'll pick you up tomorrow morning. I'll see you soon. And I wanted to hug him and bring him back. But I needed to let him go. Like I have done since he was old enough to be a threat. 12 years old, tall, and looked at as a problem. And so he left. I went to, after he left, I, I fell apart. And I went down to the conference and I ended up sharing this at the conference, not wanting to, but it would not sit inside. And a woman there, her name is Elizabeth Ellis, she said, Sheila, you must tell that story. You must tell that story because you are a witness. You see, my son had a witness that helped keep him alive. Only later will we find out it was a man who was also a preacher. And that man was a witness for my son. And that when I tell this story, I am a witness for him. Now you are a witness. And I ask that you stand and be a witness anytime you see something and you think, maybe I'll just stop a moment, just stop and be a witness. I am so very, very happy that my son is alive. I am so very happy he had a witness because you see, my son is not a statistic. 
yet. Thank you. Mm. Irene, we've asked that you would respond first to Sheila's story. My goodness, um, first of all, I'm overwhelmed. I should have brought some tissue in here. <laughs> yeah. Um, Take a moment, baby girl. Take a moment. <laughs> like, Miss Sheila, that, um, that's my worst fear. My son is 17. He's beautiful. And he's a good boy. And I just got him a car. So he's a year old driver. And um, I just can relate so much to what you were saying. Like as a mother, just um, every time he leaves the house, I realized I was putting fear on him because I was saying, uh, be careful, baby, be careful, make sure you do this, make sure you do that, make sure. And I realized I got convicted one day because I realized I was um, really projecting my fear onto him. And I started to um, just talk to the Lord about and tell the Lord, like, God, I trust my son in your hands. Mm -hmm. belongs to you. Thank you. You've given me the ability to have this time with him and manage him uh, until he's no longer under my purview. And now I say, see you soon son and um you know i think that uh just the um authenticity of what you shared um it just speaks directly to my heart as a woman of color um i'm actually biracial i'm mixed whatever you want to call me um, <laughs> uh, it doesn't bother me at all um, um my dad was caucasian american and my mom was zambian i was born in zambia um so I am African American. For real, for real. For real. <laughs> uh, born in Zambia, I was born. In and um, just uh, my eyes have been open to a whole nother level of reality about race. Because I grew up in Africa and the US. And so just coming back, I didn't even know all this existed. And that instances like that could even happen. I didn't even have an awareness for it. I didn't even know I was, there was something different about my family until someone brought it up to me and made it seem like there was something wrong with it. Like, why is your dad white and your mom black? I'm like, oh, there's something wrong with that. And I took on that uh, identity, which identity crisis majority of my life. Um, but all of that to say, I just, um, the realities of what your son faced, it's an everyday reality for my, my husband and for my children, female also, females also in that fall into the category. They, my daughters always say, because um, she's been driving a lot longer, she's like, mom, why do they always talk about uh, black men? It's black women too. We get, you know, deal with issues, dealing with race and stereotypes and things of that nature. So, um, being coming from uh, me, she's a quarter, what a quarter white, and <laughs> we're very proud of both sides of our heritage. And um, I've been uh, not black enough for the black people, not white enough for the white people. 
I talk funny. My hair's um, too curly. My hair, when I straightened my hair, my hair was too like <laughs> textures everyone else's. I actually just started wearing braids, y'all, this year. Because I got a haircut that was too short. And I was like, let me try one of these protective styles. Like I literally was impacted by hair bias myself. I took on what the world told me was pretty hair. Yeah. And um, and my hair was just never good enough. So just anyway, I just appreciate you, Sheila, for sharing that story. Um, man, you're a storyteller. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't lie to you. Yeah. <laughs> you're anointed. Yes. <laughs> and I just I, I just pray that um, your story as it impacted me, that it would impact all the women on this call. And that um, that awareness of the of just the that suffering as a mama, I pray that that alone would cause people to speak up yeah. and want to be a part of the solution. Holding on to you, baby girl. Holding on. Thank you, uh, Katie and Susan. Um, your responses to well, I would say that story before we speak up, we got to wise up Wow! Uh, because I know my own self. And, and, um, Irene, when you were saying ignorance, no more, you know, there was a time where, okay, ignorance, I feel like this whole season, at least for me personally, is stopping ignorant, Katie, stop thinking, well, civil rights and, and President Obama and it's, it's good. It's good. It's good. Right? I mean, I'm sorry if that sounds so shallow and stupid, you guys. I don't mean to, but I really, honestly, it, not that I hadn't heard stories, read stories, horrible stories and everything, but I'm like, okay, well, that was then and now things are pretty good, pretty good. And then I'd see a news story and I'd go, oh, that's that's not good. Yeah. But then I'd be busy and I'd be like, okay, well, someone will yeah. sort it all out. I, ignorance, maybe willful, not really willful, like with spite or just not taking ugliness, the time. But just not even really having a full understanding. I feel like this is a wake up season. Wow. Um, yeah. At least for someone like me, wake up. This is really happening. And Sheila, as you're saying that, oh my God goodness to feel every time your teenage son goes out the door mm. mama hearts right. wants to yeah. say no but your wisdom says no I have to let him live yeah right. and to think this happens in our country the yeah. land of the yeah. free and the home of the brave and, yeah yeah um it's heartbreaking um so wise up and then speak up. But that's what we're doing on this call, yeah, you guys, yeah, all yeah, of us. Yeah, really and good. praise God. Praise yeah. God. We can talk about this. We can hear from Sheila. We can yeah. hear from Irene yeah. and each other and make a difference. I love what you said about just be a witness. Mm-hmm. I mean, that man is just standing there in that mm-hmm. store right. or the gym or whatever. Yeah. Be a witness. Yeah. Be right. a w- who cannot do that? Right. All of us could do that. Right. Love that. Okay. Yeah. Susan. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, uh, when uh, Sheila said uh, that he was old enough to not be a threat um, and looked at as a problem. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I recognize when Joshua was growing up, um, for those of you guys that don't know, I, my three, my, my three kids are black. They're from Ethiopia. And, um, I remember as Joshua was growing up, um, I, when Sheila said, uh, not Sheila, Irene said that she was projecting her fear onto her son. Mm-hmm. I was in that moment because when Joshua would go out at night to go for a run, all of a sudden I was like, don't wear that hoodie, get that hoodie off your head. You're not allowed to wear a hoodie. You're, and I, I was having these moments of, because I was this brand new rookie mom trying to raise a 14 year old black son and recognizing that when we walked into target and he was, he would walk so fast ahead of us and I would be back with the little girls and he would walk in way ahead of me and the security guard would walk towards him. But as soon as I said, he's with me, they would back up. And I was like, what is going on? Like, I mean, I remember being alerted to what, what is that? And I, um, at our school, this, um, this precious woman, this precious, precious black woman came to me and she said, um, you're going to need to talk to your son before he gets a driver's license about how to behave behind a wheel. And I just looked at her and I said, what in the world? And she had the cutest little kid. And she said, he's cute until he's not cute. And I did that stuck with me. And then when Sheila said old enough to not be a threat and looked at as a problem, it, that's exactly what this mom was saying to me. He's cute till he's not cute anymore. And it, uh, it was such an eye-opening experience to have to say things to my son that I do not believe. And I can't, I can't say that I wouldn't, but I do not believe I would have to say to a white biological kid. I do not, I do not think I would have to say, don't wear a hoodie outside. It wouldn't even dawn on me not to say, don't wear a hoodie outside. I'm rambling a little bit. No, you're fine. These are, um, for those of you who don't know, I have sons as well, three sons. They're little, so they are still cute. Yeah. And I am keenly aware of what Sheila referenced and what Irene referenced and what Susan just referenced. I know that there is coming a time when they will cease to be cute and people will see that they will see the color of their skin first and wonder, what are they up to? What are they doing? Um, A revelation that I've had just recently in this whole season that we've been in. Actually, it was my pastor who said to me, he goes, Portia, you always seem to be a little tense with the boys, it's like, we have boys, we understand. Boys are rambunctious, they run around. And I really began thinking, it was like, why do I get so, when we're in public about my kids' behavior? And I realized that it was, they're already little brown boys. So they already stand out. I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Brown folks are there, but there aren't a lot of us. <laughs> so they already stand out. I didn't want there to be another mark against them. And so the Lord has been dealing with me of, you need to let them be kids. You cannot live in fear. Um, And so we have to be mindful, my husband and I, the things that we tell them that I don't have unrealistic expectations for my nine, eight and three-year-old sons, because I just, I don't want people to think badly of them. And so this is a reality that when I talk to my friends about it, they just go, you really think about that? And I'm like, absolutely. I think about that. I think I, it would almost be negligent to not think about how are my children being perceived. So Sheila, I I can't thank you enough for sharing your story. And one of the questions that we wanted to ask you and Irene tonight is what is something from your reality that you deal with as a person of color? We've just talked about our children, 
our sons specifically. But Irene, you also mentioned that your daughter's like, hey, I'm in this too. I deal with things as well. Um, What else is a reality being a woman of color in our nation, especially right now? Um, I would say, first of all, being a woman, right? <laughs> you know, it has its challenges, and we all, you know, can <laughs> you know about that. I think for me, I uh, because of what you just said, um, the way I may be perceived, I do whatever I can to posture myself in a way, depending on the audience. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm married to a black American man. Um, so when we go places like, oh, here's a perfect example. We bought some uh, a, a, an elliptical machine off of Craigslist. Uh, it's the big mama kind that you get from the uh, gym, very expensive. They were like $6,000. And we found somebody who was selling it, just wanted to get rid of it for $1,000. Um, so we go into this gated community get buzzed in and I'm speaking and by the sound of my voice you can't tell what color I am right right up to the door my husband's six foot four and chocolate okay (laughs) and he's like 300 pounds he's a big guy so um he's like I mean no you walk five feet in front of me you ring the doorbell Mm -hmm. and sure enough just as we had suspected um the people came like looking through the windows, peeked open the door. Like, we're like, you just buzzed us in. We're the Rollins family. <laughs> and we're like, do you want to see the cash? We just want the, you know, we just want the, the tread, the whatever, the elliptical machine. But it just, I think our awareness of, we have to be aware of the setting we're in. Mm-hmm. Be aware of what we're walking into more so than the average white person. So in my experience, I have to be aware of how many people in the room, where, who are my allies, um, just so I can know how to respond, if that makes any sense. For example, um, I have to teach, I had to teach my daughter who I sent to Birmingham, Bible College in Birmingham, Alabama. She is an eight on the Enneagram. I have taught her to be a strong and assertive woman, and that's who God created her to be. Mm-hmm. She went down there and she would speak her mind. She's like, yeah, this is a promise ring. I'm not having sex till I get married. And she's like, like she's just real vocal about what <laughs> <laughs> she believes and all of that. But she got labeled as being an angry black woman down there. Right. And it was so interesting because I'm like, Kayla, that is like so far from her personality. But that was the perception. So I had to teach my daughter how to respond in those types of settings. I'm like, Kayla, you might have to lower your voice a little, posture yourself different. It's all about the delivery is how I framed it. Because I didn't want it to all, I don't always want to make it about race. I just am teaching her as an Enneagram 8, you need to posture yourself as knowing the environment you're in and, you know, tweaking it from there. But it's interesting um, how uh, we can be perceived and that's not our heart. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. One time you think, okay, maybe that was an off encounter. But when it happens over and over and over, you're going to go, okay, how can I adjust? Let's, let's at least make this better, right? And I, I look forward to the day that when I'm speaking very passionately about something, just because 
I love it, or I, I, sh- I believe very strongly about it, that is received as I love it. And that I believe very strongly about it and that I'm <laughs> and not that, angry. Right. But what right. I do is sometimes I'll stop and say, Hey, um, do you think I'm yelling? Because I'm not, I'm just really passionate. And I try to give context to it. That, that is how I approach that situation because mm-hmm. it was brought to my attention that I yell a lot. And I went, do I? <laughs> to not my children? I don't know. <laughs> to not my children. To not my children. Sheila, how do you, how are you? Uh, well, I think that definitely am right there with Irene and with you having um, and consciously having to make decisions about, uh, you know, uh, was that just said or was it, you know, was it a racist thing or was it sort of racist or maybe they didn't know or such like that. And so I, I, I constantly do that. I, I'm a little older now. So sometimes I get a little less, I can speak up a little bit more because I'm now mama <laughs> Sheila. So I can say things and your mama would know this too. So uh, there are times I can say things and just, I'm just tired now. I just, I don't have to deal with that. Junk anymore. <laughs> I can just say what I want to say and people go, Oh, I'm sorry. And they, you know, they, and so I, I'm not as, but what I have found over this um, lately is that there are a lot of things I have not shared that are a part of my culture because part of my growing up culture, um, because I didn't want anybody to have to work to ask me a question or to be uncomfortable. I'll give you an example. I don't know how many of you are in here. I can put you all on, you know, on, on the other view. But I have grown up a lot with people loving the movie The Princess Bride. How many of y'all on here love the movie, The Princess Bride? There are some Princess Bride lovers. There have wonderful friends that know quotes from The Princess Bride, like too many quotes from The Princess Bride. <laughs> and, um, and my best friend is, uh, my best friend is white. And we just, we, we laugh and she'll say something and she'll say, isn't that the funniest thing? And I'm like, no, you know? <laughs> and so I, I finally said, where are you getting this stuff? Why do people keep bringing this up? And so she says, Princess Bride, you've seen it, right? I'm like, no. She said, you haven't seen Princess Bride? And I know. And I said, baby girl, that's a white movie. I love you. Have you seen Harlem Nights? She went, Harlem Nights? Should I see Harlem Nights? I said, yeah. Okay, we'll have the children. No, no, no. I didn't say children. I said, have you seen Harlem Nights? But it was so funny because, and what, what I realized is that I haven't done the opposite. I've assumed that I have to learn everything from the other side. Wow. And I have made excuses for others not learning the world that I live in. Wow. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm walking through that in, in, right now in my life. And um, so I don't know if that answers the question, but that's one of the things I, I've learned to be quiet about certain things, not bring up certain things, not do certain things. Because right. I don't want to have somebody go, I, I didn't understand that. Right. And then nobody asked me the question. I just want you to ask me the question. Mm-hmm. You know, so that we can have a conversation. If it's not in your world, right. when I say I'm going to go get a perm and I come back and my hair is all straight. And you're like, that's not what my perm looks like when I get my perm. Right. Is to, you know, or looking at, you know, I just, I love seeing Irene because I, I saw her a month ago. I saw one of your videos and I said, I wonder what her hair is going to look like today. <laughs> and I remember, y'all might remember when when Michelle, uh, you know, Michelle was in office, and people were shocked that every day it seemed like she had a new haircut. 
<laughs> you know, how was she doing that all the time? That that was so foreign to people. It's, you know, there's so much money going in that. It, it's just, I'm trying to be more real about the world I live in and wow. the world that's a part of my grow up. Right. And I want people to start, I want to stop making excuses for that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, it's interesting you say that because um, when my, the very first week that my kids were home from uh, Ethiopia, I went to Target and took my girls and I stood in the hair care aisle and I had spent months researching it. It's like mm-hmm. it all went out the window. Like mm-hmm. I stand standing there staring and I didn't know what to do. So I went over into the aisle and I saw this beautiful woman with amazing hair and I walked over and looked at her and I said, I need your help. And she went, come with me. And she grabbed my arm. She took me over. She touched Dib's hair. She went, she's going to need this, this, and this. Put it in the mm-hmm. cart. She said, now her, she felt Ruth's hair. She's going to need this, this, and this, and put it in the cart. Mm-hmm. So I looked at her. I was like, and Joshua? And she was like, he's going to need this. And like, put it in there and got him a brush. <laughs> well, then she looked at me and she said, you're new at this. And I said, like one week new. Mm-hmm. And this is what she said to me. And she goes, you stood there almost 10 minutes before you talked to me. She said, do not be scared to ask black mom how to parent your black children. And I just looked at her because I will tell you what she just called out in me was I was fearful to ask her because I thought she would be offended that I was asking her. And why would I think that? And I think sometimes we build up in our heads this myth that to start a conversation because you don't have any answers means that you need to keep your mouth shut and not start the conversation at all. Mm, mm. Well, if I had not started that conversation, then my kid's hair would have been a hot mess. And that's a whole nother conversation about women walking around watching a white mom not take care of their kid's hair. And so my thing is, you, when you are around black women and you are a white woman and you have a question in a beautiful, respectful, loving manner, yeah. go and talk to them. It's what Jesus did. Yes. He went and talked yes. to and had community yes. with them. Yes. And I think in, in little things and big things, when we yeah. have questions, we ask those questions. Right. We just ask them. And then we start a conversation with right. them. We can hit some and let's, let's, let's also make sure that we're doing that as Christians with everyone. When someone is blind, when someone is disabled in a way or, in, uh, or, or differently abled, instead of, you know, trying to figure out all the answers that we don't have, let's right. just love people enough to go and say, I don't know. Yeah. And can you help? And I'm really stupid. And I'm sorry, I don't know. Just be, you know, just be, it's humble. It means you have to be really humble uh, yeah. instead of being prideful and saying, well, I'll just figure it out. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Amen. That really is a humility and and vulnerable enough to take a risk. Okay, I might appear ignorant, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to love you enough to take the risk to ask you because I want to know you. I I want to know what movies you quote, you know, let's chat about that. And how many relationships start from asking a question? That's right. I mean, if I'm in a store and you're wearing shoes that I like, guess what I'm going to tell you? Yeah. I like your shoes. Yeah. Where'd you get them? And if you're from Minnesota, this happens to be a thing. People will tell you how much they paid for them <laughs> if they got them on sale. 
if they got a good price, it doesn't matter. It could it could be earrings, it could be fruit, it doesn't matter. If they got a good price, they're gonna tell you. I, I but I think that's loving. I'm from Wisconsin, <laughs> right? you know, right next door to Minnesota, and we totally do I do that yeah. all the time. Target. Target, $5.99. Yeah. <laughs> so all of that to say that the questions could be the start of a beautiful friendship, yeah. especially within the body of Christ. Yes. How much more yeah. within the body of Christ? And what if the question that is asked in humility and with love and respect is a bridge that's built to someone who's like, I don't want anything to do with the church. Yeah. But because you happen to start a conversation and be willing to learn, then that relationship develops. And then that person wants to know the savior in whom you have put your trust and your hope. We earn the right and the privilege to share about the Jesus that mm-hmm. we love so much. And yeah. we can do that simply by asking about shoes, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> can, I, can I just say this, though? Do not ask if you can touch my hair. Thank you. My skin. All right. So don't do that. Don't come up and say, can I just touch your hair, please? Please don't do that. Unless you are five years old, you don't, you know, if you're above five, you can, you know, but don't do that. Right. Don't come up because then I might turn around and say, Well, can I touch your hair? Right. And you know, and then you'd be like, Oh, that probably wasn't nice. So just a FYI. They Shanika was in there with me. She's like, please don't do that. Don't do that. (laughs) I had a lot of freckles as a girl, and I remember, you know, kids wanting to touch my freckles. Like, what are those? So yeah. Yeah. That's no. Okay, we have a question from one of our viewers, Susan. What's our question? Okay. Um, It says, I've been reading a lot about racism and race relations, and much of what I've been reading says that do not expect Uh, biracial people of color. There you go. To educate you. Educate yourself. How does that fit the idea of being willing to ask questions? That's a good question. It's a good question. Because that has been a big narrative right now. Yes. To figure it out. Right. Yeah. So how would you answer that? Do you read it again? Or are you guys good? No, I'm good. I can. I, I don't agree with that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's like if you don't know, ask. And like I'd be. I even if I offer it sometimes, even if it's not asked. Like hey, hey, hon, that's not an appropriate thing to say. You know what I mean? Because someone might take it offensively. I'm your friend. So that whole, like you said, um, don't touch my hair type thing. If we built relational equity, yeah. then I'm okay with you touching my hair. You can right. cut my hair. You can try and braid it if you want to. We can talk hair products and how Sheila's hair products are different from the Porsches and different mm-hmm. from the ones I use. All three of us, as uh, Susan said, different <laughs> hair products depending on the texture of our hair. Like, but I, I just feel like in the race relation thing, it's, it's the genuine conversations that happen through building relationships. So build relationship first, build relational equity, do something nice for your neighbor. Go get, I don't know, give, give someone a compliment, serve someone else with your words, serve someone else um, just with tangibly. Um, and then you've built relational equity where you can ask some of these deeper questions. I have no problem helping educate people in this season that we're in. It has been overwhelming. Trying to educate all my beautiful white sisters who now want to ask me every question in the book. Right. No, we've been doing life together for 20, 15, 10 years. Like why now I'm getting bombarded. I'm getting fatigued. 
right. with answering these questions. Mm-hmm. So what my husband and I have done is we have chosen to continue the one-on-one conversations with friends. Why right. I'm on this call? Right. Because Susan and Katie are my friends, right? And Portia and Sheila are now my new friends. Right. Relational equity has been built and I'm going to serve and give my time. Right. Everyone else, yes, I will recommend books. I will recommend podcasts. There's some amazing people speaking some amazing stuff. It is not all my responsibility right. to answer everyone's questions. Right. So getting educated, yes. And in fact, on that note, and I'll end with this, um, there's a book that I recommend called White Fragility. Mm-hmm. Listening to it on audio, I'm on the second time around listening to it. It is that good and really opened up my eyes to the way that I have played the part I have played into right. systemic racism as, right. a, as a mixed person. Right. Like Sheila was saying, but not having the conversation I had to repent before the Lord because and repent to my white friends because they're like, Irene, why didn't you ever talk about this stuff? And I was like, because I didn't know I could, that it was okay that you wouldn't think I was, you know, ranting about racism. Like I didn't know it was going to be open. So I think you all being on this call today just encourages me that there are women out there and people out there who really want to learn and want to lean in and listen. Yeah. The title of the book that Irene just mentioned is White Fragility. And I will tell you the author, Dr. D'Angelo. I'm actually reading it right now. Are you? Okay. It is not a Christian book, but it has good principles in it. I feel like I always have to give that disclaimer when I'm with Sisters in Christ. We're like, but Portia recommended that book. Y'all, it's not the Bible. Uh, Robin D'Angelo is the author of the book. Um, if there are other questions that you have, you can go ahead and put those in the chat right now and we'll be addressing those and we're just going to continue the conversation. Um, these are excellent questions. Um, basically, what I heard Irene just say is based on the level of relationship that you have with a person mm-hmm. of color or a biracial person, that determines the type of questions that you can ask. And if you don't have the relationship, we invite you to build the relationship. <laughs> yeah. And also, yeah. Google is an amazing tool. Sure. That sounds like a joke, but for real. <laughs> Google is a great tool. You can ask Google, Siri, how do black women feel about their hair being touched? Don't do it. (laughs) That was just my voice. That wasn't Siri's voice, but Robin D'Angelo is the author. Yes. You know, you know, I want to hear, you know, I want you to say that to Siri now so I can see what she says. I know, right? I'm really curious. To tell you the meaning of life, she might have the question, but I'm not going to take your time to do that right now. I'll do it later. We'll let you know. Or you can do it on your own iPhone if you have one. So, um, Sheila, would you have anything to add to the question about learning and do... Okay. Nope. Irene was right on top of what I would say. So, amen. Okay. So, let me put this question out to you, ladies. How do you see the role of the church in healing the racial divide? No, go ahead, Irene. No, past the woman. Go on now. Go on now. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, Again, again, it goes back to the whole compassion thing, modeling what Jesus would do. So Jesus was all about compassion. Um, He had compassion on the crowds. Um, He 
told his uh, disciples that the harvest is great, but the workers are, are few. Um, and he encouraged them to go out into the field and just, he was all about being in the trenches and showing compassion to the least of these. And you know what? I kind of feel like as we model ourselves after Jesus, aren't we all the least of these? All of us can be the least of these, as the says. I don't know if I'm making sense. So like, um, it's not just the, the poor guy, the homeless guy. It's not just the orphan. Sometimes it's the person who's ignorant about a topic or subject or something like that. Like compassion for the racist. Right. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So like, how is the church supposed to respond? We are supposed to respond with compassion. That means loving beyond our preferences. Wow. So if a racist was right in front of me, I do not prefer them, but not, but did Jesus run from them? No, he ran, went towards them. Mm. Loved beyond his preferences. He showered them with love. He empathized. My goodness, what happened to you in your childhood? That makes you that would make you come to the point where you were that angry at a particular race or felt um, you put yourself in this position of elitism or superiority. Um, it's like looking at it from a, a way of compassion. And I think that the church can lead that. And the church leads it through conversation. Leaders not being afraid to have the hard conversations. And leaders who are willing be the listeners always doing the talking right like some of the i what i love about my pastor is who's white like he's like irene and jimmy talk to me i'm gonna be quiet and shut up i know y'all are always leaning in for to um learn from me but i want to learn from you in this season Got on a plane. This man passes a church, 20,000 people, campuses all over Arkansas. And he got on a plane, plane and showed up at my house to sit with my kids and learn from us. Wow. He wanted to know, how can I answer the questions from my white congregation? Mm-hmm. How, what is this whole Black Lives thing? And how do you guys respond to it? And Black Lives Matter and different things like that. Like he was asking my children their experiences and all of that. That's leading. Yeah. That, that's where the church needs to be. Compassion, empathy. Um, and that means compassion for people that I, that I may, that I'm trying to convince mm-hmm. that racism still exists mm-hmm. and they won't necessarily accept it, but I'm going to love them anyway. Right. You know what I mean? And I'm just going to build that relational equity. The, the church is supposed to model that. Yeah. Right. And that's why, like, our church did a walk for justice. Now, we, after um, George Floyd was killed, and, you know, we wanted to model how to have a peaceful demonstration. Right, yeah. And let me tell you, it was peaceful. We sang, we worshiped down at the Annapolis docks. 50 people got saved. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So everything everybody's seeing on social media and on the news and that the media is portraying isn't what we have to be. We don't have to conform to the things of this world. That's right. Amen. It's just a model what it looks like. Yeah, that's right. I love that. I love that. Sheila, do you want to add to? Yeah, I I also think the church church needs to um, accept some history. 
Mm. Um, some of the some of the reasons that we have systemic racism is because it was church people that created the laws and policies that made that happen. It was church people um, who followed Christ and what they said mm-hmm. um, that also determined that there that um, black people should be seen as less than. Mm-hmm. And treat it that way. And there, uh, we need to deal with that history. And in dealing with that history as a church, um, I think that we'll begin to, and and sharing those stories, because they're not easy stories, because they don't make us look good. They're not easy stories to hear or, or to tell, but they're stories that need to be told. Why? Why is it we have a Methodist church right across the street from a Methodist church? And the only difference is the color of their skin. Why is it that only certain music is played in a church that might be interracial, but you don't ever sing, lift every voice and sing? Or even know that that's a thing. Why are we doing that? And so I think there also needs to be some history that is done and seen. And um, it's awesome if your church was not built upon uh, some racism, but are there biases that are still there? Um, There are very few. One of the reasons that so many African-American people, particularly older ones, love Joe Biden, and this is not meant to be political, just be reality for this, is because he did something very few white men ever do. Placed himself under the leadership and head of a black man. And in very few churches, that is allowed to happen. And that needs to be talked about. Why is that the way it is? And let's talk about that. Why are we not suggesting black theologians as ones that should be used in conversation? And why do we applaud certain theologians in spite of the fact that they supported dearly subjugation and harmfulness of people? So I believe the church needs to also know history. And if nothing else, Jesus knew history. Jesus knew history. Right. We know that because he had the Bible. That he, he knew what would have been behind. He knew what was behind him. He knew what was there. Paul knew the history and what was working and what Jewish people had done and not done. And he often brought that history back up mm-hmm. to remind people where they were. Yeah. We need to deal with our American history yeah. in the church. What are some of the other questions, Susan? Um, Okay, this one's for Irene. Um, I have a question. I have a question for Irene. (laughs) Uh, My son is very light skin mixed. His dad was black. I am white. How do I make sure that he appreciates both sides of Mm. who he is? Very good question. Mm. Um, I would say so. I don't know enough about the situation. So like, okay. 
if the father is not around to share that part of that's what it sounds like because it says was okay was okay so then um there are other black people all around mm-hmm. i'll tell you what um i uh what i love oh you're the perfect example susan mm-hmm. messaged me and said hey irene i'd love my daughters yeah. mm-hmm. to be able to be around you and learn from you be mentored by you and mm-hmm. for you to into their life, whether it's from afar or in person, and we weren't able to make it happen in person, but because we're still so connected just through social media and other mechanisms like that, you can be mentored from afar. Right. And and just so exposure, talk to your son about how he feels about, um, shoot, do the study, White Fragility, or read the Bridge, Bridge Builder book with him and ask him questions about how he feels and what's his experience. I bet you some things that happened in his childhood and upbringing that yeah. were related that he may have not shared with you. Wow. And that'll bring you to another level of intimacy in your at bond as mother and son as you empathize with him yeah. and say, I care about those experiences. And then again, just putting him around some people that you, um, you know, when they're young and impressionable, we can decide who they get to be around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you hand pick people that you nice. know um, that you admire, admire that can speak into his life. Yeah. Or again, there's authors. It could be athletes, Christian athletes. There's all kinds of people that he could follow. Yeah. And like earlier, we were talking about when you don't see God working, He's still working. Right. Our kids. Sometimes you can be exposing, dropping nuggets for years. Right. And Suddenly, when they're 21, 25, 28, the light bulb goes off. Right? Amen. So it's just all about who you put them around, kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, would, I would also say, um, while I'm a huge fan in widening the circle of influence around a kid. Mm-hmm. Because we are, no matter if we have biological kids that look exactly like us, we are living with our head in the sand if we think it's not important for other adults to speak into the lives of our kids. Um, last year, I put my son on a plane so that Portia's husband could influence his heart because he is a black man that is creative. And Joshua is a black man that is creative. My husband and I are none of those things. <laughs> I can be creative, but so we put him on a plane and flew him out to Minnesota so that he could be influenced by Clinton. And I will tell you, uh, he still talks about it. And sometimes he'll come in a room and he'll like, mom, I just texted with Clinton and blah, 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 blah. And they speak this language that I don't know how to speak. <laughs> and I will say, if you have kids, widen that circle around yes. them. Widen that circle. Yes. Uh, okay, here's the next question is, what's a phrase or phrases that white people say but they do not realize that it's hurtful or racist. I have an answer to that, but I'm going to allow you. Ladies. Oh, no, I want to hear your answer, Portia. Tell us your answer. Zero authenticity. And then I was terrified and anxious. And I had good reason to be terrified and anxious because I was copying other people's sermons and I was myself. What is that? Of course, you're going to be scared and you're going to be anxious. Um, I didn't want to preach. Because I suck so bad. Sounds like a process. You're terrified and anxious because you're copying another Oh, it's not. Anyway, um, I think a phrase that that I I think is said with the best of intentions is that I am colorblind. I do not see Mm. color. Yes, you do. Yes, we all do. We all do because we serve a very creative God. 
Yeah. And he has just a beautiful spectrum of creation in people that are across the color wheel that is beautiful, that I think should be celebrated. And I realize that the intention is I don't hold it against you that you are a different color than me, or I don't value you any less because you are a different color than me. But let's be honest and say that I do see, because you know what, in the world, the world sees my sons yeah. are brown and black, depending on the season of the year. Um, and I do think as believers that we have a kingdom mindset. Paul talks about that in Christ, we're neither slave nor free, Greek nor Jew, male nor female. We are all one in Christ. And I think it's amazing to have that kingdom mindset, but to also recognize that we are in this world, yeah. even though we're not of this yeah. world, but we still need to be aware of where we are living. And so for me to adopt a, a, a colorblind mindset means that I can on accident, put myself and my family in a very dangerous situation because Absolutely. the world is not colorblind. Absolutely. They are very aware. When I walk into a space, when my children walk into a space, when my husband is walking down a street by himself in a predominantly white neighborhood, they are not colorblind. So I think, the, I understand the intention, but that is something that, um, please yeah. don't feel like, no, 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 I'm not saying yeah. that to you. I'm just saying, yeah. please understand what it means. Yeah. See me. See my kids, see, right. see my sisters, see my parents, see my family, see us. You can see us and value us without mm-hmm. saying that you don't actually see the color of our skin because you actually do. Unless you are actually colorblind, which is a medical condition. And then all bets are off. But, yeah. I'm, but I'm glad you're, you're stating that you really do see the heart behind it. Yeah. Because I have, I have thought that to my own self yeah Mm -hmm. I don't say that but I'm like well and I mean this might again be a dumb thing to say but I'm just gonna say it because we're having honest awkward conversation please you remember when I wrote that letter to To my friends of color and then and then Gwen said open Mm -hmm. it up and 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 have it be an open letter to all your friends of color so literally I was trying to think of Every woman of color that I knew, mm-hmm. there were so many. And this, I know this is dumb, but there were so many people that I just forgot mm-hmm. that honestly mm-hmm. were black. Like I walked into my chemotherapy lab and I've been meeting with these women mm-hmm. for, you know, how many months? And I'm like, damn, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Mm-hmm. Is that insulting? I don't mean it to be insulting. I, I yeah. honestly, like, oh yeah, because I just don't think about that. Like, who cares? Right. I would wait. You know, who right. cares? I think a better thing is so just like I love who you are, even though that we may look different, and it's it's not a big deal. And depending on where you are and the circles that you're traveling in, unfortunately, some people make it a really huge deal. And that's all I would mean by being colorblind is. Well, who, who who cares that you have darker skin than me? I don't. It's it's just not a big deal. Right. But I can see what you're sure. saying now. And again, that's why I'm saying this is a season. Yeah, of learning. We're learning. learning and awareness and like, oh, okay. I thought color blindness was a good thing, but I see what you're saying, and it's all in the definition, mm-hmm. and well, it's all in the intent. And I, and I would heart. say too. Somebody has said to me before that they were colorblind. And I looked at them and I said, I do not do not want you to be blind to the color of my kid's skin. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. And the culture that represents 
the skin they live in is also gorgeous. So I do not want you to be blind to their skin and I do not want you to be blind to their culture. And I have that conversation. You see what I'm saying? Because I want them to embrace that with my kid's skin comes this gorgeous culture and stories they get to tell. Amen. And and I I get that. Yeah. That's an honoring thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It but I think it's just a learning thing. If someone says I'm colorblind, they're yeah. What do I know? Yeah. My no, own self, good. if I had ever said that, it would have been with the attention of an honoring thing, right. not a But now you're learning. But now I'm learning. Okay. I get it. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Here's another question that we have. Ooh, I just want to wait. Hold on. Hold on. I, I have to tell you just very quickly, my good friend, Tim Lowry, when he hears somebody said, uh, I'm colorblind, he said, Ooh, you must have a hard time at traffic lights. Well, wait, Susan, um, they didn't answer only Portia answered that. Oh, okay. No, 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 that's fine. That's fine. I know but, you got a lot on your plate. But do you guys have annoying things that white people say? I don't uh, think the question was sound, phrased. That was not how the question was phrased. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna get us in trouble. <laughs> you sound you you are so articulate. <laughs> Oh, no, that's the phrase. Yes. That's the phrase right there. Say it again, Sheila. I have a degree. I am a professional storyteller. It's my job. You know, you're so articulate. Why wouldn't I be articulate? But it's because there's a box that we sometimes are put into a box that we're supposed to sound like we're from the hood or sound like we're from down south. I can go all those places. I can do that. I know Irene can do that. I know Portia can. I know most Black people can go one side to the other. My son, when he is with the hood, he speak total hood. I don't even understand what he's saying. Yeah, but he can just turn right around and get with his boss. And his boss says, oh, my gosh, you are just, you know, you always are able to say the correct things the right time. He just rolls his eyes, not in front of his boss. But, you know, he knows how to play that game. But the reason that's said to me is because someone has an impression that I shouldn't be articulate. Mm -hmm. And so the question would be, although I would never ask it, why wouldn't I be articulate? Mm -hmm. That's a good word. Wow. That's a good word. Can I just play the other side? Yes, please. uh, Irene's going to say something. Yeah, being biracial, do you know that I um, have heard that from black people too. Really? And it hurt really bad because I was like, man, you know, I can't identify with the white people because I don't mm-hmm. look, I, you identify with the race that you look more like. Sure. I look more black. So I'm thinking they're gonna accept me, right? But then they're like, why do you talk like that? And all that, and then I sound cheesy oh, whenever I try to speak, you know, in slang or yeah, the kids are like all on me about that. But I, I literally said one day I was in high school and I was like, you know what? What is wrong with me speaking in an educated manner? And then I just started standing up for myself and just being like, you know what? I'm tired of made made fun of being myself. Like right. this is just the way I talk. Anyway. Right. <laughs> I resemble that comment. <laughs> those conversations with friends growing up. Yeah, like, why do you feel that way about yourself that you can't talk in an educated way? Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. What's the question? Okay, uh, next question is, how do we challenge the church 
um, to name, address, and fight racism head on rather than just tiptoe around the issue and address it vaguely when referring to it. Ooh. That's not a read question. the Bible. Scripture, <laughs> <laughs> it's all of it. Stand up for the oppressed. Yes. Yes. And black people have been oppressed for so long. And like since the beginning, like since we were found out in Africa, (laughs) you know, and so it is what I I don't want to say it is what it is, but that exists. That oppression exists. Mm -hmm. Must stand for justice. It is biblical to do that. Doesn't mean you have to be angry. Doesn't mean you have to do it in an unloving way. Yes. But yes. we must stand for justice. Okay. And um, it's the way you can communicate that to your leadership and yes. uh, sharing, like, um, you know, white fragility. The definition of it is white people's discomfort in talking about racism. Right. So, like, you know, if you're white, go talk to your white pastor about it and say, hey, can we get have more conversation? Like, it's you are the voice. You are the voice that's going to make a difference. It's not going to be heard if I walk up in the church and complain about how we're not talking about racism. But when you partner with me, my sisters, and you go in and in love, yes. you your leadership. Yes. Not demanding and telling them how to run their church. Who goes into a CEO and says, run your business like this, your right. corporation? You don't do that. Right. Make a suggestion. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like an honoring suggestion. How can we help be a part of this? We don't want you, Pastor, to feel uncomfortable having conversations about this. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also asking, I want to know biblically how how do we stand for this? Because mm-hmm. people want to be taught, and there is precedent in scripture of how you stand up for the oppressed and yeah. how you speak up and how we we stand for justice. Mm-hmm. And so I, I love what you said. It is a mandate. It's a that mandate we for justice. That we, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. What does one, God require of you? Yeah. To do justice mm-hmm. and love mercy yeah. and to walk we'll humbly with our God. Mm-hmm. Um, this one is less of a question, but it's it's so good. Um, it says, "I'm astounded over and over again about how easy I always have always had it from a place of white privilege. Mm-hmm. I'm a mom. I don't have so- have sons, but my heart bleeds that any mom should fear for her child's life just sending him out into the world." I related to what Katie said earlier about thinking things are better, easy to say from a perspective of white privilege. Mm -hmm. I I am having my eyes opened in any number of ways by things on the internet, things people are saying and talking about now, and things like 13th. Mm -hmm. I'm overwhelmed with how ignorant it is, how ignorant it is easy to be. Wow. Amen. Amen. It is. And that's partly because we have not talked about the whole history. A woman in a program I was with said, you know, Black History, for Black History Month, we kind of do it wrong. He said, because slavery was a white person's issue. It was white history. And then survival has been Black history. Hmm. That was really fascinating. And I I said, you know, but there are very few white whites uh, that talk about um, the uncomfortable subject of the full history of slavery and what that incorporated. And yet we have, um, I have a friend that says, until the story, the story sits on top of us, until we can tell it enough where we're on top of the story, 
and actually can continue to live. And I think that's very true. It's, it's, it's repentance. You know, when we truly repent, when we truly repent, we can actually move that sin so that we can be on top of it. God gives us that strength to be a dude. But if we not truly repented, if it's just a, a worldly repentance, it sits there. It gives regret. It gives sadness. I think we're in a place in our country and in our churches where there's regret. And instead of walking through and going all the way through and saying, let's have this conversation as deep as it is. Um, I, I think that we, we don't, uh, I think we need to stop being so afraid of the ugly. Yeah. Right. It's, you know, it, Jesus loved those who were ugly. Yes. You know, a leper is not usually a pretty person. And so we need to go and see the ugly and then walk through that together. Yeah. I love that. If that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. There, um, we could talk about this. All night long. Five hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> However, we're going we're, we're gonna, to we're gonna round to home base with yeah. this. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to combine two questions. The questions I saw earlier yeah. about yeah. Black Lives Matter, yeah. the statement, and Black Lives Matter, the organization. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to talk about the organization. I'm going to talk about the principle of Black yes. Lives Matter. Yes. Very simply, what that means is that we'll, we'll take, because we'll use Sheila's story. When a person of color is pulled over, we are not saying that we do not want to be pulled over for speeding, for traffic violations, or be held accountable for things that we have done wrong that are against the law. What we are saying is we don't want to be tried, convicted, and executed in the street for something that we have done, or even something that you think that we did, which is gonna turn out later that we didn't do. That is what Black Lives Matter means. It doesn't mean that other lives do not matter. It doesn't mean that other people don't have value. We are asking that Black lives have value enough that when situations arise, that they receive the same respect and value of life that any other person who is not Black would receive. That is what Black Lives Matter means. Yeah. Also, um, there's been a question of what does it mean to stand up for justice beyond posting on social media? Social media posts are awesome, and it's the in thing to do right now. Yeah. And depending on what you post or how you post will determine the types of comments that you get back, right? Um, what I would ask and what I think is a very tangible thing and what I have said to many, many people, be an ally. And you be an ally by things like tonight, joining in the conversations, hearing other people's experiences, asking questions, leaning in and educating yourself. As you become an ally, then I would ask that you would give opportunity and access that is within your realm to do it. Yeah. We are not asking any one person to change all of the United States. Mm -hmm. We are asking you within your sphere of influence, mm -hmm. what is it that you can do? What conversations can you have? Can you talk to your leadership at your church and say, this is something that I believe is very true based on the word of God, because this is what God has called us to. Can we talk about this? Because there is so much power behind your voice. If you ask your Christian leaders, help us do this then you can begin to open up the conversation. You can listen to your friends of color. If you do not have a friend of color, I encourage you to say, God, I need more friends of color. I have had to do that. I live in Minnesota. Do you know that God has answered that prayer for me? And I have friends of color that aren't just like 
acquaintances. They're they're my girls. They're my friends. And I know and that you had two new ones tonight. I know <laughs> God will answer that prayer for you. And and it might seem like that I'm I'm being flippant with that, but I'm really no, not because I understand that if you live in a community that is all white, and you're like, where do I even find people of color? Mm-hmm. Jesus said we could ask him anything, yes, anything. That's right. And I know that the Lord will open up doors of opportunity and it might start with somebody's really great shoes. <laughs> <laughs> also, I would still, I would encourage you, what are the things that are around in your area? Maybe you have a heart for education. You can get involved mm-hmm. and volunteer at your school because kids just need sometimes a friend, someone to say, hey, I believe that you can do this. Math can be hard, but you can do this. You need to listen to a child read. Maybe it's something that you're getting involved in the local political scene where you live. We're not going to talk about politics, but it's important. And so maybe that's where you're going to get involved and stand up for justice. Maybe it's just finding out what are the issues that are facing the people of color in your state? Because what is happening in Texas is not the same thing that's happening in Minnesota. What's happening in Minnesota is not the same thing that's happening in Washington. So you need to know in your sphere what is happening. Those are just some examples of how you can stand yeah. for justice. Yeah. Um, policymakers, yes, you want to make those phone calls. Um, a, a real quick one. Yes. That we all have. We all have family. Yes. So just being able in our sphere of influence with our family, not participating in bad jokes. That's so jokes, good. Not being okay with um, racist statements, comments, derogatory things being said, not just against race, against gender, uh, socioeconomic status. We can go on and on. Um, and then also teaching our children. So if we are having these conversations with our children, our children are going to change the next generation. Yes. They're going to break the generational curse, okay? It's going to get better with every generation if we're willing to have those hard conversations with our kids. I've had friends had to apologize to me. They're like, we're not racist. We're not, not racist, even though my son made a racist comment. But we never taught our son, even though we're not racist, we never taught him what is offensive to another race. So he's just kind of fit in with his friends at school and he says something derogatory and now he's being expelled from the school as a racist. This is real life, what's happening in my life. But guess what? It's also shared responsibility for me to talk to my son about how he's going to respond in love. That's so good. So you know what my son did? I t- my son texted that young man and said, I, it really hurt what you said. Wow. I know that that is not a reflection of your family. Yes. So I forgive you. I just want you to know how much that hurts people of color. So please don't do it again. Wow. You're not a mess up. You're not a screw up. God can forgive you too. I'm, I'm also made some mistakes. So I just want you to know you're forgiven. I couldn't believe it was my son. Like I, that is that's like, amazing. That, I'm like, dude, you are an amazing kid. So we are all responsible what we're teaching our kids. That's right. so good. That's right. I mean, I love that. I mean, that big question of what can the church do, you know, to, to move forward in race relations, it, what your son did. If yeah. an individual Christ follower could act like that. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, you said it earlier, we are the church. We are. It's not this... Mm-hmm disembodied organization it's people it's individual people individual conversions 
individual conviction by the Holy Spirit, and then individual courage, humility, kindness, um, forgiveness, loving your enemy, Mm -hmm. grace. Uh, I don't know. I just, I like that. I like that story of your son. That's so good. Um, I wanted to, can I add one last thing before we go? I was going to ask you. Okay. <laughs> um, and I'm sorry I'm turning red with all the lights. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Yesterday, you know, somebody said, you are, you, are, you are burning hell up. I'm like, okay, I don't know. If You're that's hot. Clean, but okay, whatever. This is my sincerest heart for those who are white allies. I want you to count the cost. Because it can cost you when you speak up as an ally. Yes. It can cost you family. It can cost you friends. It can cost you your church. That's what it cost me. It cost the people I loved at my church. Um, I have another church that's wonderful. God's good. Amen. But it will cost when you speak up for others, when you stand injustice. And when the cost comes, are you ready to pay the cost for what is right? And we all have to ask that question to ourselves again and again. John Lewis, got to speak his name at some point in time in this conversation, Mm -hmm. long time ago made that choice, I will stand and take the cost no matter what it means. Mm. And his body laid down for it. But because he made that choice, we knew him as the conscience. And so we have to make cause. I have watched my white friends, some of them who I love so much. I've said actually out loud to them, I am so glad I'm not white right now. Because what they've had to battle just to speak up for me right. and for the, my son and my family has cost them. Are they still here and are they loved and do they have a huge family that's other than? Yes, but that did not take away the pain. Yeah. And I give this to you as hope that when you make that decision, God has such a bigger family for you. Yes. Amen. You will not be out there by yourself walking it. There will be other arms that will wrap you. Amen. But just know there will also be cost. Yeah. Amen. 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 But the cost for not doing right <laughs> is bigger. I would. But we don't, but we often don't see the cost for not doing anything. I know. Because the, the cost for not doing anything means I still stand with the same people. I still sit in the same place. I still do the same things. Yeah. It really, I mean, and I, I, I know what you're, you're, you're saying, but it has a cost, but we don't see that. No, this I is the cost you will see in your lifetime if you stand up. Yeah, that's so good. Um, but if you want to live a meaningful, purposeful life. Yes. Um, yeah. Absolutely, amen. That's good. Absolutely. So um, I want to leave us with 1 Peter 3.8. It says, finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy. Speak up, Miss Girlfriend. Speak up, Portman. <laughs> Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. 
Because if we do these things, that's 1 Peter 3, 8. If we do these things, we will be like our Lord and Savior. Mm -hmm. And as we do those things, healing will come. Healing is coming. And I believe that the church is the answer. The church is the answer. That is the plan that God put in place through his son, Jesus. There is no plan B. It's the church, which is us. So thank you. We... We are blown away by how many people came to be at the table with us tonight. We want to say thank you so much to Sheila and to Irene. Thank you for sharing your hearts. Thank you for sharing experiences. Thank you for sharing wisdom. I believe that in many of the words that you shared, there were there were winds of, of a prophetic thing yes. from the yes. Holy Spirit that was spoken over the people of God tonight. This was amazing. Thank you so much for being with us, Susan. Thank you. Anything that you want to add to close? Um, I would just say, um, I I want, can you give me your book real quick? Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you guys are looking for a place to start um, and you want to, uh, this book right here, Be the Bridge by Latasha Morrison is phenomenal. Um, Get in her Facebook group. She is a bridge builder. She is wise. She's speaking truth into this. And if you are looking for a starting point, many of you have already done your own research because it's evident in the comments you're making. But if you're looking for a place to start, this is the place to start. Start here. And uh, it's it's fantastic. It oh, is absolutely yes. fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, can I? Are you going to pray before we leave? Can I? Okay. Yes, before uh, I love hearing Portia pray, and so now, like, she has literally been in Virginia less than twenty four hours, and I've made her pray no less than three times <laughs> out loud, just so we can have church. So we, we had a class. meeting today, and I was like, Portia, you need to pray. And then right before, then the meeting happened. I was like, Portia, can you pray again? Like, I know she's like, why did she bring me here? I'm like, because you bring church to town when you pray. <laughs> Um, but here's the other thing I want to say, and this is, uh, just a side note and, um, we're not going to give you details about it, but you guys, God is doing something so beautiful and supernatural that's getting ready to happen within She Speaks Stories that only can be explained by God answering a a good solid year's worth of prayer. But I will say this, um, the beginning of September, you're going to find out about it in August, but the beginning of September is when we're launching this. Don't tell. I'm not going to tell. <laughs> but be in tune with our, I want to tell so bad. Don't we're not, we're making tell. a commercial about it tomorrow. Yeah, where's Joshua? So, my uh, son is here doing, we've been doing a video all day today and all day tomorrow. And it's a promo video and it's coming out. Um, and we're going to launch it in August. I mean, uh, explain it in August and then launch it in September. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited. I can't even stand Don't it. Don't tell. I'm not going to tell. And if Josh, see, Joshua has been here filming us. He's been filming us right now. And if he were here, I want you to see his cute face because he came home from college to do this promo video. And I woke up this morning to this, hey, mom. And I jumped out of that bed like it was on fire to go grab my son that I have not seen in three weeks and kiss his face off. <laughs> but I will tell you this. Keep up with us on social media. Keep up with us on Fridays on the podcast because truly amazing things are coming that only only God can get credit for and it's going to be so fun so Portia's going to pray us out I will if you did not register tonight but you want to have access to the recording of this conversation if you will send an email to hello at she speaks stories.com yep. that's hello at she speaks stories.com um, we will be sending out the recording of tonight because I know that I want to listen back to the things that were said and you can also um, Katie Harding I learned this from you 
if on your chat box, if you click on the three dots, you can save the chat because there were some amazing comments and questions that were put in the chat box that were sent to everyone. So if you want to save the chat, you can do that by clicking on the three dots and Look scroll down and just save chat. And then you can see that that were listed there. Um, chat saved. Oh, chat. I new things. Are, you know, between <laughs> that and then also Sheila telling us about the spotlight video. I yeah. was like, look at this. Life is different now. This right. is good. <laughs> because we are still going to be zooming at the end of 2020. Yeah. So we need to learn all of look these tricks. these new things you're learning. I know. I'm so excited. <laughs> it's so good. That's okay. All right. You so, Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you have been with us throughout this conversation. God, we thank you that you are bringing your church together, that we come into agreement with what Jesus prayed. Father, let them be one as you and I are one so that the world may know that you sent me and that you love them. God, I thank you that you are bringing your church together to a greater unity than it has ever known before. And through this unity, there is a greater anointing that is coming so that those who have yet to name the name of Jesus would know our Savior. God, we bless our guests tonight. We thank you for Sheila. We thank you for Irene. We thank you for the very good work that they are doing. God, I thank you that within the economy of the kingdom that everything that they have poured out tonight, God, that you will give back in great measure. God, I thank you for all of their heart that they have shared. God, I thank you for restoring, for refreshing. God, for them to continue the good and holy work that they are doing. God, we ask that tonight would not just be a conversation, but that it would be a catalyst for change. God, yes, there were people yes, from Lord. all over this nation mm-hmm. and even in another part of the world. God, mm-hmm. I thank you that what you have begun, you will bring it to completion in Christ Amen. Jesus. Amen. God, this is not just a moment. This is a movement. And we believe that the name of Jesus will be lifted up as your church yes, comes together yes, and is unified. We thank you for it. We are excited for it. And we say that we are with you. We will follow you. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. And amen. 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 Thanks for being with us, guys. We love y'all. We love you so much. Thank you. Love you you all. Thank you. Thank you. Love you. Bye. Bye. Bye.